0: Folks, Ron Urgency, our new newscaster of Urgency News, has joined Real Leaders. And if you have not seen his new recent message that promotes companies not destroying humanity, go to our Instagram page where you can watch his thoughts on what companies have large brains. If you're an organization with a large brain and you're an organization that is transforming lives, not destroying humanity, go online to realears.com and register your organization today. Also, we need 50 reviews by the end of August 31st. That deadline is fast approaching. And if you have not left a review yet, I need you all on Apple Podcasts to go to all episodes or show more episodes, scroll all the way down, all the way down to the bottom. And write a review with a nice title, a little description, and a one to five star review to let others know what to expect when they land on this channel. Folks, what do you know about agriculture? You want to change the world to start with agriculture. What do you know about the soils? What do you know about the harvest cycles? How many do we have left? What do you know about traditional agriculture compared to modern day industrial agriculture? Agriculture. Folks, Ethan Steinberg set off with his co founders across the middle America to speak with business owners, farmers, and ask them can we plant a couple trees here and can we measure how it's doing? We think it's going to sequester the carbon. We think the nutrients the trees are going to provide are going to produce more yields, more crops we think the bugs that's going to bring are going to fight off the ones that you are using pesticides for already. It's also going to provide shade to your cattle. It's going to do a lot of things that our old ancestors used to do in the first place. So if you're one of those people like me that know nothing about agroforestry, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy.
1: I think you know, there's all the options on the table. I mean, we're at a inflection point today with the changes in climate and the way our economic system works. And I, I think we're more than intelligent enough as a species to iterate on the way we do all of this. Uh, there, there's no reason to say, just because we've done it one way for the last 50 years, it has to remain that way when it's clear that there are, there are externalities.
0: You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that, my friends, was the voice of the CEO of Propagate Ventures, Ethan Steinberg, who joins the show to educate us all on the long-term benefits of agroforestry. And on today's episode, Steinberg shares his concept of a quadruple bottom line, the history of agroforestry and how farmers across the country are reacting to using traditional techniques. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for the real Ethan Steinberg. Enjoy. We will go live in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Here today to educate us all about agroforestry and the benefits of it is the co-founder and CEO of Propagate Ventures, Mr. Ethan Steinberg. Ethan, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thanks so much, Kevin.
0: Appreciate it. Appreciate you being here. So, Ethan, usually I'm rocking like a maroon blazer, like a burgundy blazer most of the time. Today, I got sent this nice quarter zip in the mail. One of my best friends, Nick Hunt, just got a job during the pandemic for the SoCon conference. The kid's been grinding a long time, and his career has now taken him to Spartanburg, South Carolina. You know where that is, Ethan?
1: I don't know too much about it. I don't know too much about it either,
0: but one day (laughs) I may go visit. So the reason why I brought this up, the reason why I'm wearing this shirt is not only to support my friend, because I know you have an interesting journey, and the folks want to know where your career is has taken you
1: cool I, I appreciate it more than happy to dive into the details and uh, i hope my journey continues and i find myself in uh, spartansburg at some point
0: it's uh I, i've heard good things if you look it up on google you won't find a socon conference logo or anything you will just find southern food on the google reviews there's nothing about the conference at all
1: you know, nothing wrong with good food it's a core component to why propagate got started uh, the the value of food and being healthy and sitting around the table with friends and family with good food and libations is always is always part of a good time now on our end um my my journey I think about sixteen I got started in the world of social entrepreneurship. I was fascinated by this idea that business could act in a way that not only met all of your business goals financially, um, but also could service uh, a thriving planet, could find ways to develop and incorporate in its, in its actions on the day-to-day ways that uh, created a positive impact around social justice uh, for the environment. Uh, and you can imagine, since that happened uh, way back when, the world of social entrepreneurship and impact investing has developed and grown significantly. And so I've been lucky to get plugged in at a young age and essentially watch from the sidelines learn and be part of the process of this growing and super exciting industry now here's an option here's an opportunity to to get out there be an entrepreneur um, and and focus on things that I myself and my co-founders and plenty of folks in the world of sustainability and social entrepreneurship are are passionate about. There's lots of challenges out there and the true entrepreneur in me would say where there's a challenge is absolutely an opportunity. And um, so, yeah, I'll fast forward a little bit on, on that journey. Plugged in at 16, got to learn from some brilliant people over the course of time, got to travel, across the country internationally working with different startups ended up working on a project with the super bowl on their net em- their net positive campaign particularly on the fan engagement side and post that i shortly after the game actually this is when the denver broncos last won the super bowl so super bowl 50 i received a phone call from one of my close friends from college who I, I, Jeremy, one of my co-founders, he, he and I had met the second day of, of college. So again, I received a phone call like, hey, I've got this crazy idea. Let's start this business. All right, tell me more. <laughs> and in short, uh, I know we'll dive into agroforestry and all the nuances here, but, but but in short, it was, let's go find a way to finance trees on leased farmland. There's this thing called agroforestry, and I think it's a game changer. That was probably the first phone call, I think, that triggered the Propagate Ventures journey. Um, He had been working with uh, a gentleman, our our other co-founder, Harry. So Jeremy and Harry had been working a little bit on, on what an agroforestry business might look at and how it might operate. And um, from there, we got in a car and drove around the country, spoke with any and all the farmers that would sit down with us, um, trying to learn. We had a deep curiosity around why trees were not commonplace in the modern agricultural system outside of orchards what you would see today, but why are they not integrated into standard practice um, given the way that trees are so uniquely intertwined with our society?
0: Now, e, when you approach these business owners, these people, and you say, hey, I've got this great idea. We're going to plant trees and we're going to sequester carbon. It's going to be great for the environment. What would they tell you?
1: Uh, It's a great question. You know, as we traveled around and we spoke with farmers, aside from for me being a very humbling experience, um, the amount of knowledge and energy that goes into producing food is is unparalleled, honestly. Um, So that's, that's certainly one piece of the puzzle, my end. A lot of the conversations for, our, for us as we ask questions around, hey, what keeps you from planting trees? Is it something you're interested in? Um, and what we learned pretty quickly is that economics are a core component to this, that we really need to get some detailed understanding around how we can increase profitability and how trees can act as a tool to increase cash flows and really deliver the financial s- stability of a farm operation. And so many of the farmers we sat down with and had these conversations with, we were, we were talking about what are the numbers behind this? And it became very clear to us that if one of the things we could do to steward Uh, The agroforestry industry, if you will, was to create some transparency and clarity around economic insights uh, so that those getting involved in sustainable agriculture and in agriculture more broadly had the tools and resources they needed to confidently make decisions.
0: Now, explain to our audience that are learning about agroforestry and its benefits to soil that helps with the longevity of in a farming operation. Explain to them uh, what it does to the soil and what the return on investment would be for a, let's say uh, someone who grows uh, barley or maize.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, short sh- sure of brushing it off and just saying trees are great. <laughs> Um, what, you, what you have with trees is they have permanent root systems. So they, those root systems go deeper into the soil, which means they pull nutrients up to topsoil. That includes things like water, nitrogen, phosphorus, etc. One of the other brilliant things that a tree does is it sequesters carbon out of the atmosphere and puts it into the soil. Basically, tree turns carbon into a couple things. Yeah, it's trunks and branches, which um, I heard uh, Tom Chi speak at one point, and he said, A tree has basically crystallized carbon, which I've always enjoyed hearing. Um, so it's trunks and branches. That's what you can see above ground. Carbon pulled out of the atmosphere f- turned into something that photosynthesizes. Um, Now, below ground, what basically happens is that carbon moves through the tree into the roots, uh, something called root exudates. So basically carbon turned into sugars that the root systems pump out into the soil. And now those sugars feed microbial and fungal life in the soil. So to your question about soil health, how do you increase soil health? It's you want a thriving ecosystem of life in the soil. It's uh, known as the soil food web. So the, the more microbes and fungal interactions you have, the more life that's teeming in the, in the soil, the, the the better it is for the health of the soil, the more likely you're increasing things like water retention. Uh, carbon retention in the soil known as uh, tracks something soil organic matter. So, so this is where like our team will geek out on this one. It's like, you, you may have seen some of those photos online of somebody holding a handful of soil. Like one side, just looks like a dusty sand. and The other side, it's like this rich, uh, dark kind of looks like a slice of chocolate cake. What you want is the chocolate cake example. That's where you have soil that has a lot of organic matter and carbon. And carbon is one of the building blocks of life.
0: So what is the problem with erosion? Like I've heard we have only 30 harvesting cycles left. We all may be aware of what happened in the Dust Bowl a long time (laughs) ago uh, where people had to leave their lands. And it's a recurring pattern. It's happened throughout society time and time again. Uh, It's Most likely going to happen again for a lot of different areas, depending on the soil. Now, what does this nitrogen and the fungi and the biodiversity of these organisms do for the longevity of that land?
1: Yeah. To my point earlier about permanent root systems that the trees have, um, any perennial crop has these. And so what you have is root systems that stay in the ground. That means they're building soil around those root systems as they grow deeper into the soil. One of the challenges that we face with monoculture-based annual crops.
0: That's one crop, just to specify?
1: Exactly. So like one crop, you look out into the into the field and you just see the same thing for miles. Imagine driving through parts of the Midwest. Exactly, corn, wheat, soy, hay, Um, it's common. It's common modern agriculture. Um, And one of the challenges with that is those are annual crops meaning you plant them every year. And so those root systems are not permanent in the soil. So as it relates to erosion, there's, there's less capacity in the soil, sort of like, think of it as a binding function to keep that soil in place. And so what we're doing with different agricultural technologies today that are commonplace is we're tilling frequently. So you're, you're removing soil and that's increasing disturbance, which is... Uh, that life and those permanent root systems struggle to stay put because there's so much disturbance, which basically activate. It's an activator for erosion. And to relate this to one of the things our team loves to do is just go explore nature. And it's very rare where you walk in uh, a nature preserve, for example, and see one plant. There's a, there's a depth of biodiversity. There's many different plants in every direction. And so to be able to mimic that in agriculture, because this is the place where, as a society, we're most actively working with the land to produce food. And so what can we learn from nature, from the depth of its biodiversity, and bring the that knowledge, bring that learning into the way that we manage an agricultural landscape to produce food. And that's where agroforestry, at least for us, our team, there's a lot of passion there around this because it's like, hey, here's an opportunity to, to pair uh, and learn from nature. It's a concept known as biomimicry. Uh, and and integrate more species into the land that we manage to produce food that's delicious. (laughs) Uh, One of the lovely things about trees is they produce fruits, nuts, timber. uh, I mean, apples and bananas, for example. I think every kid in the U.S. knows a song about apples and bananas, right? And that's trees. There are pages of our books. They're the walls of our buildings. I mean, you could imagine the depth of where you find trees somewhere along uh, how it's how it works with modern day society. And so, it seemed really logical to our team that, like, hey, why not put this together and find an opportunity to create some investment opportunities so that the capital markets can align themselves with something that's clearly an ecological end, and that also generates a return.
0: So what when you were having these conversations with these business owners, these farmers, what constraints did you run into, such as the current investments that they have, like mm-hmm. pesticides, they have crops that are used to fighting off uh uh, pesticides and constraints like this industrial agriculture norman borlaug uh all the genetically modified uh objects or organisms out there like it's it's such a like it's funny to me like when you're saying oh we, we have this passion to you know use business as a force for good and bring the soil back to life, to bring the biodiversity that can kill off uh, You know the the organisms that are bad for crops in the first place. But it sounds to me like this is traditional agriculture. We're going back to what we should have been doing in the first place. I guess the question becomes, what are the constraints that industrial farmers have, uh, uh, you've come across in industrial farming, and then uh, are we going back to just traditional farming? Biomimicry.
1: Yeah, I would say to a certain degree, yes. I mean, one of the benefits of of my job is I get to learn from ancient and indigenous wisdom. Um, if if anything, you know, what I get to do is help translate it to uh, the modern day. I mean, really, to your point about traditional agriculture. Agroforestry systems go deep into the history books. Um, there's, you know, it's tough. I guess there's some speculation here on uh, the Amazon that the Amazon was a planted and managed food forest by indigenous communities. Uh, maybe the science is not quite out on that one, uh, or maybe it is. <laughs> not totally sure. But you know, th- th- my point is is that. Trees and the management of natural ecosystems have stem back deep into the history of our species. And, uh, you know, to to zoom out a little bit, essentially what you have is we're managing the flows of energy. In the case of agriculture, you're managing energy from the sun, um, working with the landscapes, let energy. Gets turned into food, which is energy for people or animals, life. Yeah.
0: And that's impact, right? I mean, that's what you're saying about this entire thing is this triple bottom line. We can come into an organization. We can improve the system and increase their yields while also not having a negative external cost of the environment.
1: Yeah, totally. I I, I think this is the, all the options on the table. I mean, we're at a inflection point today with the changes in climate and the way our economic system works. And I I think we're more than intelligent enough as a species to iterate on the way we do all of this. Uh, There's no reason to say just because we've done it one way for the last 50 years, it has to remain that way when it's clear that there are there are externalities. Right? And when we were traveling around, and we still do, have conversations with farmers, they're very intelligent. They're very aware of, of the limitations of the current system. And there are challenges, I think, around the way that we incentivize or subsidize our system to support it i mean at the end of the day most folks want to produce food live happily and laugh often with their family uh, and friends and at a very meta level i think it's possible to do that I mean, around impact the lovely thing about trees permanent crops in particular if we look historically at the market for these they they perform better than row crops over a 20 year period of time and and that's from like a market perspective for pretty stable you, you plant the tree you nurture it you manage it and once it's producing at a mature level, you can expect uh, roughly the same amount of apples to to come for that period of time, right? Which is a little different than annual crops in terms of the day-to-day management, because you're not having to replant the trees every year. So there's that angle around it, around, and that's that's the economics, the financial angle. Um, now, around planet, trees, it's pretty, pretty clear. We're sequestering carbon, we're increasing soil soil health, we're increasing biodiversity, water retention. I mean, it's very rare that um, someone will argue that trees are bad for the environment. I'm actually not quite sure I've ever had someone argue that with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be interested to see see if that exists. Um, You know, so people, planet, Uh, profit, and we actually added a fourth one on this one, place. So to to people, let me get to this point. Um, Nice thing about trees, they're permanent, they produce for a long period of time. So you've got a little bit more stability around uh, livelihoods and job creation to support and maintain uh, this type of agriculture. And on the, the place side. So this was really important to our team. So we generally have people, planet, profit. Uh, now there's this component around place is, uh, there's such deep connections geographically to a, to a place. Um, and that's where our, our communities are sort of centered around where we are geographically. Uh, and so we thought it was important on this sustainability journey to create a triple bottom line that we took into account and recognized place as an important function around uh, the the economy of that place. So while, mm-hmm. while generating revenue and profit is important from a business perspective, it's also really important to have uh, – a community and people within a place that are passionate and uh, collaborating. And that was this component around the place that our teams uh, had the pleasure to geek out about a couple of times.
0: Well, how does one build a community? I mean, your values are now a quadruple bottom line. People plant profits, place, um, obviously, when you go into a rural area, you are increasing the economic viability of that area as well, uh, intentionally. Uh, so, as a com- like, how does an organization work with the community and 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 focus on the community, and how does that translate to one's bottom line?
1: Yeah, you know, I think a lot in the world of impact and social entrepreneurship, you hear often. About bottom-up approaches rather than top-down. Um, and one of the ways that we approach this, with full recognition that we do not have all the answers, it, it's just impossible for our, our team to know everything. Um, I grew up outside of Chicago, so I have a lot of context of that place. So I grew up; it was my backyard. Um, to give you an example I did not grow up in Argentina so it's much more difficult for me to have a depth of knowledge and context for um, that place and so one of the things that's really important to us is getting bottom up related is we want to work closely with a coalition of local stakeholders Mm. so these are folks on the ground who have a deep sense of place. They're integrated with their communities. Uh, they're, they're respected leaders in their own way. And to be able to more effectively collaborate with them, the way that we like to approach it is, if we can be helpful providing tools and resources around agroforestry that make... Um, their journey and their their leadership and their day-to-day more effective and makes it easier to utilize agroforestry, And that's a role that we want to play built off of the knowledge uh, and working directly with those that hold the knowledge in a specific place. So, you know, it's like rare for us to just show up and be like, hey, we've got all the answers, buy our products, Um, rather than build a coalition
0: locally. Right. Now, your organization heavily relies on analytics and measurements. How do you measure something like this? How do you measure relationships in the community and that impact on your bottom line? Or can you? I'd like to think
1: so. Um, carefully, I guess. Um, you know it's short of having like a whole model behind this. I mean, one of the easy ways to go about it is when you're speaking with and working with people, is it is it fun? Is it is it energizing? Do people smile or do they frown? Um I, I, I know that's not an equation, but it's it's certainly a factor and so we want to work with people that are happy to work with us but we do not want to be a burden put it that way um we do track a lot of information on the analytics front uh, So our analytics and project development platform for agroforestry we look directly at costs revenues yield projections labor assumptions you know, a lot of these are the economic insights that help create confidence for somebody managing an agroforestry system or thinking about an agroforestry system, whether as a farmer or an investor, a landowner. And so there's that component on the analysis we look at. We also look at uh some of the ecosystem services functions, carbon, water, uh, soil organic matter, etc. And you know, I think we're more actively thinking through how do we best measure social interactions. Because I, I think it goes much deeper than is somebody willing to make an introduction? Hmm. Um and I mean, look, if you or anyone in the real leaders community has has thought more deeply about this, I would love to learn.
0: It's interesting. It's interesting to take because it's just like the root systems too. you know, working together, you know, building a community, building a base uh, that provides the nutrients. And sometimes you can't track those. It's just interesting to me. Uh, Now, as the CEO of an organization, you've talked a little bit about your values, but one value stuck out to me. I don't know if it's a value, maybe it's just a way of life, was Gishito. I saw on yeah. your website, Gishido, get your shit done. I love it. Yeah. Now, what does that mean to you and how do your organization or your employees apply that in their everyday tasks?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know is a very fun one. We, um, we learned that from the guys over at the Unreasonable Institute, Uncharted. No. Um, super smart guys. Their team is really awesome. And... It's just, it's. I think it's pretty simple. I mean, it's get your shit done, right? Um, but uh, the core concepts of this are like, don't be an asshole. Don't bullshit your coworkers. And I apologize uh, for the, the language. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the core concepts. I mean, and there's stuff in there too. It's like, we're more effective if we're going to have a meeting standing up or over food. So why should we sit down for all our meetings? Like at a stuffy table, that's no fun. So to create a little bit of fun in the day-to-day. But yeah, I mean, on a day-to-day, it's like Ishido's not used as a mechanism to be like, oh, hey, let me call out my teammate. Um, It's more so an ethos around, we have a culture around achieving our goals and staying focused and being efficient around what we do uh, and trying not to take on so much at once that we've sort of multitasked ourselves into oblivion. Um, for example, like if I have a colleague who asks for my support on something, then I'm going to support them like to hop on a phone call. I'm going to be present on that call. I'm going to focus on what they're asking, what they're sharing, what we're discussing, or we're making a decision on, rather than like answering emails or we're on the phone call. So a big part of this is around being present um, and showing up, you know, and being aware of your surroundings and uh, supporting
0: your colleagues. A lot of people struggle with being present. A lot of people struggle with being in the moment, being there for others. Uh, getting flooded with everyday tasks, a lot of things going on uh, in the middle of a pandemic as well. What are some of the challenges and the struggles you and your co-founder have faced when growing this organization? Share with our audience some of the struggles that you experience as CEO. Sure.
1: Uh, That's a great question. You know, one of the things our team, the, the three of us who Founded in the business, we excel at building models. It's just like put us in front of an Excel sheet and we're off to the races. So that's been really valuable for us to, to think strategically about the ways that we need to be intelligent and iterate on our business model. And what inputs we need knowledge about to inform an educated decision. Mm. I know that doesn't answer your question directly. Um, it's just a, I think a key point that's interesting here that's been valuable is like not being afraid to like turn the page and like dig in another layer deeper of the information, um, and being able to open up. Honest conversations with each other, like, hey, I came across this piece of information and it terrifies me. How do we deal with it? I mean, I think in a, something that's important to us, some of our core values as a business, is around staying curious always. And that drive for curiosity um, and taking ownership. There are probably two really big ones that I think in my role and I'm sure Jeremy and Harry would agree with me on this one as founders of the business is to be able to things break and sometimes we get things wrong and mistakes happen and it's just the course of business. And being able to recognize, like, hey, guys, like, I thought I had that right and I didn't. (laughs) I was wrong. And it's had implications on, on the output of the business. And so I think there's one angle to recognize and take ownership of something. And then there's another opportunity to take action about it and to to ask when you need help. And I think some of those are the areas that's it been important for me um, to lean on my teammates and my co-founder when there are times that I'm scratching my head. You know, one, of the, one of the things that the three of us have been thinking actively about, um, so we, we went through Techstars, and through Elemental Accelerator, in the world of tech, there's just always a discussion around recurring revenue, and in the world of agriculture, um, the concept of monthly recurring revenue or annual recurring revenue is a little odd because in agriculture you operate on you operate seasonally. So we've been geeking out on this thing like how do we do seasonal recurring revenue? Hmm. I mean, in the going model of like I started. Th- having a conversation with some folks of like, how do we take the energy of the team across the season and think more strategically about what that means as an implication for our business. Now I can't figure that out on my own. I absolutely need the support of our team and my co-founders to think through that. Cause I'm not the best judge of, everybody's energy day to day. I mean, I can get an understanding here and there, but like, if I wake up tired one day, I should probably tell my colleagues that I'm tired today. I didn't sleep last night, right? Whatever it is. And so that open dialogue and being able to share and being curious and advocating for each other um, as teammates, as co-founders so that everyone is successful in their day to day in the office and outside of the office.
0: The reason I ask that is because a lot of uh, social entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general, you know, they have the creativity, they have the curiosity. Staying curiosity is one of your values, but actually doing something, going past that fear is something else. What have you learned over this experience, Ethan, mm-hmm. uh, about acting upon things? And have you ever got to a point where you wanted to stop? <laughs> um.
1: One of the things we set out to do when we started the company, basically made a commitment to each other. Like we will embrace the feedback loops, like share with me the negative feedback. We need to be willing and honest with each other around the feedback loops, positive, negative, neutral, whatever. Um And so that's been beneficial to the point where, like, we all have down days. We all have up days. Um, To be able to better understand, like, hey, this is a negative thing. Here's the data. And, like, what can we learn from that feedback so it's constructive? And so that it doesn't attack or feel like an attack on – what somebody's working on. And, you know, along our journey, taking what was almost literally an idea on a napkin, I have a quick story for you. There was a moment, our first retreat, the three of us, this is the first time the three of us actually sat down for a weekend with whiteboards and like did all the things you expect, three entrepreneurs with, some post-it notes on a whiteboard to do. It's like post-it notes on the wall. Let's put X's, X's. strike through all the things, you know, <laughs> let's figure it out. There was a point when we recognized how complex what we were, what we're trying to accomplish is and how we're adding complexity to it by trying to deliver a very holistic approach as a business solution. We were kind of beat up at the end of, like, it was the end of the second day. And we happened to be in Burlington, Vermont, a farm that we're friends with does grass-fed beef. And it was the midst of a a blizzard in Burlington. And we, we like, looked out the window. It was just like, you got to put the pen and paper down for a minute. Uh, And we looked out the window, and there was a cow chasing snowflakes. Just like tongue out, like, like chasing stuff like it was hilarious. And we were all like, "Here you go." That's why we're doing this. So that, that was like one of those meetings we were beat, and we had, followed up with that. We ended up going to a local restaurant. We were eating um, our lunch, and I ordered a cider. And our team is deeply passionate about chestnuts. There for a lot of different reasons, but. Not podcast, <laughs> and one of us—I think it was Harry—who said, "Like we should just do chestnut beer. Like we could grow an awesome company that has impact and makes chestnut beer. It's a starchy nut." And scratch our heads on it for about a minute, and realize there is not enough supply of chestnuts in the United States to grow a chestnut beer company. Hmm. So back to square one, we got to go figure out how to get more chestnuts more. in agroforestry systems across the country. Uh, so it's the little moments like that where you're kind of down on your luck and feeling like um, you're kind of getting punched in the gut and there's no clear solution or answer for what comes next. And I think it was those sparks of passion for us. Like, yeah, chestnuts, let's go do that. We all love chestnuts. Great. Um, and then opens up this doorway to getting a deeper understanding of what the actual needs are from an industry perspective so that we can focus on delivering a business that adds value to the needs. Um, and it was it's reorienting in, in that way. And it's all driven by passion.
0: Okay. Okay. So I see what you're doing here. So you're going across America planting trees, not just trees, chestnut trees uh, to uh, get over that constraint of chestnuts to have your chestnut beer company. Smart move, Ethan. And we see this time <laughs> and time again with companies like Patagonia, you know, who wanted uh, to create uh, organic clothing and there weren't a lot of organic cotton suppliers out there. So what they do? They... Built more. They engaged with them. They went to the local communities. Uh, they became better partners. They cut their non-organic uh, cotton supply chains, and they grew one of the most authentic brands in the world. Or like Blue Apron, we had Matthew Wadiak on. He is now using Cook's Venture uh, to uh, have uh, to do regenerative farming as well. Uh, to create healthier cattle because they didn't have them for their products, a constraint. So I see where you're going there, Ethan. Now, all these examples have in common the quadruple bottom line, the people, planet, profits, and now the place. So to you, Ethan Seinberg, after all of this talking today on this 43-minute episode of The Real Leaders Podcast, what is your definition of a real leader?
1: Oh, man, it's a loaded question, Kevin. (laughs) Stay loaded. Yeah, yeah. Um you know, a lot of the leaders that I admire, um, I think they act in a very genuine way. They're authentic and honest. And you know there there's always an angle for a leader to listen to those around, um, to constantly be learning. Um, and to be decisive, one that's needed. Huh. You know, for me, the word that maybe the optimal word here is stewardship. Uh, one of the things that resonates well with myself and everyone on our team, Jeremy and Harry, is the idea that we can be stewards for a thriving planet. And society is a function of that, and our economy, et cetera. And then we want to focus on thriveability. And if we can simply help steward that, that, that would be a win in our books. And we want to do, for, do so from a place of being genuine and connecting with those around us and creating um, relationships built on love and care not on um, extraction um, and that we can cooperate, if you will, with with those around us and be humble enough to know when uh, it might be time to listen rather than talk um, or to pass the microphone.
0: Well, Ethan, we appreciate you coming on and pursuing this passion, pursuing this project to make the planet thrive again. For Ethan Steinberg, I'm Kevin Edwards, asking you to go out there, be a steward for a thriving planet, folks, and always keep it real. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Kevin. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. But I think you'd enjoy it just a little bit more if you watched it live and you had the ability to ask all of these great leaders questions about your thoughts on their takes on leadership. If that's you, if that's you who wants to ask questions, participate, be involved, have it on the background during work or just watch it live in your free time, go online to realleaders.com to the podcast tab and live events on there. You can see all of our upcoming events and RSVP for the ones that fit with your schedule. Last thing, Podcast 25 is a coupon code that you can use to get 25% off any real leaders magazine out there. It's a great deal. I don't think we offer it anywhere else on this site. But because you're a subscriber to the podcast, you, my friend, are going to get 25% off a year subscription. That's ridiculous. On a Realier's Magazine. Great new edition coming out with leaders who give us hope. Ooh, spoiler alert. I'm looking forward to receiving a magazine. And again, I try to read Realier's Magazine once a day, folks. You get through that one quarter story by story, inspiration after or inspiration. Great read. Go online, Realier's.com, coupon code podcast25. Lastly, The Real Leaders Impact Awards are coming up, folks. If you're an organization that's not destroying humanity, go online, register your company, and apply for the Real Leaders Impact Awards. Thank you for tuning into this podcast, and always, folks, keep it real.